Welcome to Table Radio Season 2. Today we continue our series on being together again with a sermon by Andy Withrow from Sunday, October 31st. Enjoy! You place the stars above and you call it Our text today comes from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 14, starting at verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your sister is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So, do not let your... What you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by others. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. I love baseball. It's World Series time right now. And for those who aren't into it, that's the championship series in Major League Baseball. Now, one of the reasons I love the game of baseball is that there's room for um, personality and, and human differences in judgment in each game. And this makes every game a bit unique. And it's one of the biggest elements of the game in baseball. One of the most fundamental is calling balls and strikes. Everything can hinge on whether a pitch is called a ball or a strike. And in a highly technological era full of video replays and robots making decisions, the one who calls balls and strikes in baseball is not a robot, it's not subject to video review, it's a human person, it's an umpire. And what they say goes. And umpires, they don't all have the same strike zone. So it makes the game a bit interesting. Some like to call strikes just a few, like an inch maybe off the plate. Some ump strike zones are a bit higher, others are a bit lower. So if you're a batter or if you're a pitcher, it's in your best interest to familiarize yourself with whoever is umpire and how they like to call them, balls and strikes. It's different every day, every game. So teams will do whole scouting reports on umpires for this very reason. How do they tend to call them? What should you look out for? What do you swing at? What do you not swing at? You better adjust all these things depending on that or you're going to have a lousy game. Those who don't adjust, well, they're going to get mad and they're going to get called out. So when it comes to our relationship with God, there's some overlap here. Imagine trying to live in a created world when you made no attempt to know or understand the creator. It's probably not that hard for most of us to imagine because I think a lot of us sometimes have this kind of approach to our own lives. Now, God is way, way better than an empire who could care less about whether you know his strike goes on or not. 
This God, our God, at least the God of the scriptures, is very interested in us knowing him and knowing about him. He's gone to great lengths to communicate who he is and what he's done for us and what we can do to know him and to cooperate with the way that he's designed life. And this ties in with the theme of our current series in Romans 12 through 15. How do we live life together? How do we live life with one another? This must be based on who God is and what he has done for his people and how he's made us. According to Paul in his letter to the Romans, earlier on in the letter, God has gifted us with a new life that is transformed by his presence, the spirit within us. And this allows us to live lives that are pleasing to God, that cooperate with God in the way that he's created us and created the universe. So in this story, we get a whole new belonging, a whole new identity as we're adopted into God's family. And so with that new identity, we're called to a new way of behaving or cooperating with that identity, living out of that identity, reflecting what's true about who we are. But it can lead to this very big question. How do I know what's pleasing to God? Just like a baseball player might ask about the umpire for that game and how do I know what's going to be a strike, what's going to be a ball, so I can succeed at the game, we want to ask about the creator and, as it happens, the rescuer of humanity to know how do I succeed in this relationship with God and living life in his creation and living life with others who he's also created. And especially when community brings with it, inevitably, people who see things slightly different ways, have different experiences, has a pluralism of practices. What do I do about the tensions that I experience in a community that's supposed to be on the same page, supposed to understand maybe some of the same things about life? And it doesn't always seem that everyone's on the same page. Now, in baseball, the worst thing isn't having an ump with a different strike zone. It's having an ump with an inconsistent strike zone. What, get call, what's, what gets called a strike in the first inning maybe gets called a ball in the second or vice versa. This throws everything off. You don't know what to expect. You can't rely on any standard. And the good news for us is that God isn't like that at all. He doesn't show partiality, and he's consistent with us. So Paul says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, that we must allow God to transform our minds so that we can test what is good. We can know what is pleasing to God. For Paul, as we've seen in the last few chapters in our series, knowing what pleases God comes from a correct understanding of what God has done for us in Jesus. This is what we call the gospel, the good news, and, the, what, and what God has done for us to bring us freedom. We've talked before about that freedom from endlessly measuring ourselves by the standards of ourselves or by the standards of others. Freedom from that because of what Jesus has done for us. He's accomplished the only work that matters on our behalf. We have full acceptance, so we don't have to fight for it anymore. This is a big freedom that many of us struggle to understand and struggle to live our lives out of. But when we begin to grasp this and experience a whole new life of freedom, we can now grow in our discernment of how to use that freedom. There are two basic tests we can use to help us grow in our discernment. One 
is talked about all over the place. It's sort of assumed in the scriptures. And the second Paul deals with in, in the passage we're looking at, the first test has to do with knowing God. Is the practice I'm thinking of, or the direction I like to go in life, is it clearly out of bounds from what God has communicated to us in his words, spoken to us in the Bible? This is like paying attention to a scouting report in baseball on an umpire. What can I know from reading about who this person is? Where can I expect things to be called inbounds or out of bounds? Thankfully, this scouting report is given freely by the creator himself. He wants us to know him. And the second test is what Paul gets at in our passage and in in the paragraph before it. Paul says that simply asking this question, can I thank God for it? Can I worship God through this practice or this direction I'm taking? So this is wonderful. Believe the gospel. Seems too good to be true, but that's how it works. And then second, two basic tests for discerning what the will of God is, what pleases him. That accounts for so much goodness. And there's lots of freedom there when we find those things. But there's another problem or question. What if others don't accept what God accepts from me? What if they look at it and say, no, I don't think so? What if what I'm discerning and have confidence is pleasing to God, but it's not pleasing to those around me? Maybe in my family, maybe I go to church with in the same community. This can get complicated and tricky pretty fast. And Paul is spending a lot of time in this chapter talking about this very dilemma. And the first thing to note about that is that that's okay. It's okay. And a necessary part of being a community is not going to, it's not got all its stuff together. We're not always on the same page. We don't have to agree on every detail. It seems to be assumed in the New Testament churches, just the way things are. We're not all needing to be on the same page on everything. It's okay. But Paul in the meantime, sticks to bigger priorities in being the community of God's people together. And they're helpful for us too, so we're going to explore some of those. And one of the big things Paul wants us to avoid is flaunting our freedom in the face of others. He says, good for you. You've got amazing freedom in the gospel. You have confidence in your life that what you're doing and the direction you're going is pleasing to God. He's giving you the thumbs up. Then a big temptation arises in community. We want other people to see just how free we are. It's a very human impulse. Maybe there's good motives behind it. But it's also easy to see how unhelpful it might be to others who haven't come to the same conclusions, or at least not yet, for whatever reason. Or maybe there's some more sinister motives behind us when we want to flaunt that freedom. Maybe our need to know that we're right because maybe we're a bit insecure. We need to know that we're justified. There's that word again. We've looked at it before. When others don't join in the same freedom as us, maybe we get defensive. We feel like we have to defend ourselves or insecure. And that can easily lead to arguments, to flaunting our freedom, to proving we're right. It can also lead to judgment looking down on others. And so we can have this tension in our own souls. We want to celebrate our freedom, the good thing, our practice, our discernment. We also might want to justify ourselves before other people, to feel okay, to feel justified. 
But as soon as we do that, and this is what Paul, I think, is getting at here, we've forgotten that first thing. We've forgotten the gospel. Because these needs, they stem from fear and not freedom. Gospel has to do with freedom. It comes out of this space of not being convinced that our own practice is good and pleasing to God. It leads to a logical conclusion in our own souls that we often don't reflect on. If I condemn them in my heart, write them off in my own mind, maybe even a little bit to their face in a subtle way, then I feel vindicated. I'm in the right. And it reminds us that fear doesn't allow room for love, not loving others well. The one who's different, maybe not quite on the same page as me. And Paul reminds us, hey, Christ died for you. God accepts you. And if you're remembering the tests, the two tests, you're free. You're pleasing to God. You're doing the best you can. And guess what? That's also true of some of those who come to different conclusions as you do. And remember from last week, you don't get access to their inner motives. You don't get access to their inner heart and mind. You don't know. So be careful. Christ died for that other person too. God accept that other person's too, that other person too. So watch your mouth. Watch your heart. Watch your mind. Be careful. Remember your freedom and let it be without fear. Keep it between you and God and those who are not offended by it so that you are free to genuinely love your brother and your sister. And then there's a freedom to honor a fun little wordplay that Paul has in verse 13 that's usually missed in the English translations. The translation reads, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother or sister. The Greek word for passing judgment there and the Greek word for deciding, they're the same Greek word. So Paul is saying, don't decide on others' righteousness or their justification, but rather decide to not put an obstacle in their way. It may, it may mean not practicing your freedom in front of others who don't know what to do with it, who have a hard time with it. That is a radical kind of love to do that for others, fueled by a radical kind of freedom. Only people who are secure in their freedom are free to do that, are free to love in that way. But living in that fear and that uncertainty, it stunts us. It keeps us from loving one another. But remembering that God is for us, that he justifies us, what Paul calls righteousness here, that's what the kingdom is about, right? Matter of righteousness, peace, and joy, not food and drink. It's the particular issues that are coming up for the Romans. That's what the kingdom is about, not these smaller issues. And when we experience that righteousness, that justification, that enoughness, and that right standing with God, that leads to a whole lot of peace in our own lives. I am good with the creator. We're good. He accepts me. That leads to peace. Peace in our minds and our hearts. And it leads to joy, a relief. It bears with others who are in different places, a peace and a joy that bears with others who aren't, don't see the same things. 
has all kinds of patience and care for them. And then, then we're free. Then that's the freedom that the gospel brings, as Paul says, to pursue, pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. We're free to not destroy the work that God is doing in others because we get caught up with these lesser things. The main reason we're afraid of those who think and practice differently than us, I think, is because we don't believe that God truly has our backs, that we're really justified, that we're really okay. So we can get bent out of shape about non-essential things that from a gospel perspective are precisely non-essential. So remember the tests for discernment. Is this clearly out of bounds with what God has spoken, revealed to us in his words? And second, can I thank God for this? Can this, be an, can this practice or this direction or whatever I'm discerning, can it be an act of worship? But some of us might be asking about now, well, should I never bring it up? Should I not talk about it? Isn't the freedom the gospel brings important for others too? I think that can lead us to a third test for discernment that honors what Paul is saying in this passage here. And that's this. Can I talk about this freedom with someone else in a way that honors and loves and looks out for their best interest, thoughtfully, carefully? It's the kind of love that is patient and kind, the kind of love that would give up its own rights for the sake of others. And it puts us, by doing that, in a fellowship with the one who gave up everything, even his own life, for the sake of others. So God, we gave you thanks for this gift, that you do reveal who you are to us in your words. You want us to know you. You want us to know what makes you tick and what makes us tick. And would you open up the scriptures, your words to us, and would you lead us and guide us into all freedom that can lay aside its own rights for the sake of others. In Jesus' name. Amen. Perfect in your ways, you place the stars above, and you call it good. That's why we praise you. Thank you for listening to Table Radio, an extension of the life of the Table Church, a community in Victoria, BC. Our mission together is to love God, love each other, and to love and bless our neighbors so that we may see Christ revealed in common life. Music for this episode provided by the Preparation EP, written and arranged by Coco Relieve, can be found at thetablechurch.bandcamp.com. To learn more about our community, please go to tablechurch.ca. God